Welcome once again to Live from Roswell. I am your host, Guy Malone, broadcasting to you worldwide over the Paranormal Radio Network, live from sunny Roswell, New Mexico, where all your bases were stolen by us. Yes, it's baseball championship season, don't you know? <laughs> so that's an appropriate digression from my usual dump banter. But And speaking of baseball, but not really so Sorry to any Dallas Cowboys fans out there. Hmm, that was rough. Yet Dallas lost what was kind of billed as the mini Super Bowl today as two undefeated NFL teams faced each other off this afternoon, and that's only happened five times ever in 88 years of NFL history this late in the season. Just some sort of interesting trivia for you to show how big this game was to some people. I'm not really a Dallas fan or a Dallas hater, but some of my best friends are, so my condolences to you all. But anyhow, I'm Guy Malone, live from Roswell, and if you spend your Sundays listening to Paranormal Radio, you could probably care less about all that, so I'll change the subject really quickly here. Just for our producer, uh, Joe Montaldo, though, I'll change the subject to New Orleans football, <laughs> who are looking pretty good at the moment for the first time, I think, uh, this entire year. We might have a little more to say on that as the evening goes on, but seriously, I really will get on with some paranormal stuff now before I lose everybody else from the program here. Um, we do have a very interesting, as well as a very broadly studied guest on tap for you here in just a minute tonight. His name is Joseph Palermo, and tell your ears to take a deep breath while I try to read this bio to you in, say, a thousand words or less, because Joseph Palermo is an independent paranormal investigator from St. Louis, Missouri. His experiences range from UFOs, aliens, Bigfoot, chupacabras, ghosts, spirits, and psychic phenomena. He's been involved with Missouri MUFON and the St. Louis UFO Study Group for over 25 years. He's on the board of directors for UFORC, a global UFO investigation organization, and the St. Louis UFO Study Group. Deep breath. He's been a videographer, historian, librarian, editor, and publisher of the newsletter The Enigma, president and board member of, for the UFO Study Group, and Joseph has served as the state director of public information and education, as well as assistant state director of investigation for Missouri MUFON, as well as he serves as a field investigator for the Missouri MUFON. That's half the bio. Uh, I'll take a give you a break there, but... Joseph's bio and several of the links to different areas of his work are available for you right now on www.livefromroswell, including a link to his MySpace page right under that very serious-looking picture of him I've got posted. Black and white always looks oh so serious. <laughs> but if you're listening to this program on an archive, you might have to uh, click the link, go to my past archives page, scroll down for October 14th, find those links having to do with Joe Palermo's work. But also on www.livefromroswell.com. There's a real tiny link to something I found that might, might not be of interest to many listeners out here on Paranormal Radio Network, because uh, actually I still have that link to casting info on the new Star Trek film that's in production right now. But other than that, we all probably remember that TV show, Roswell, kind of a teeny bopper, soap opera kind of thing. And that show's been canceled, as we know. 
But for one reason or another, I found myself on one of those little online petitions, and it's geared to get the television show Roswell made into a movie. Now, I don't know how old it is, and who knows whether those online petition things ever do any good or not, but just in case that show is near and dear to you, I thought I'd post that link to you to the online petition to get the show Roswell made into a movie. It's in very tiny text near the top of livefromroswell.com's homepage right now, and it's just under the banner uh, for politics, prophecy, and the supernatural there. That's a paid advertisement, by the way. And there's also some tiny text linking to how you could be a sponsor of this program, just either by having your commercials read aloud to our 30 or 40,000 listeners in 30 and 60 second spots, or just by having your banner appear on livefromroswell.com. You can look for that info or email me right now at talktome, T-A-L-K-T-O-M-E, at livefromroswell.com for any advertising info, as well as if you want to participate in tonight's program. You can email me a question or a comment for our guest, Joseph Palermo. You can email me at talktome at livefromroswell.com, and do please state your first name and the city you reside on, you reside in, and I'll pose your question to Joseph here ASAP. And we do have a toll-free number, which works a lot of the time, if you're bold enough to go on the air with us tonight, by the way. It's at the top of livefromroswell.com also, but for those with pencils in hand, the toll-free number is 877-786-0562. You can give us a holler on that number, and you too can be live from Roswell with us. Well, Joseph Palermo, hello, and welcome to our program. Well, hello, Dine. Hello to tonight's listeners. Yes, there's 30 or 40,000, so I'm told, <laughs> listening oh my to goodness. you. <laughs> Are you nervous? Nah, not really. I've, uh, you know, as, as you know from the bio, I've done television and, and such, and just, you know, it's never, never something that's bothered me. But, um, cool. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is kind of cool. I, I find it surprising that that many people find this stuff interesting all at the same time on Sunday nights usually. Yep. And, you know, after um, this year's July UFO Festival, I was in St. Louis on a personal trip. Oh. And, yeah, um, what I heard up there was that pretty much anyone into anything paranormal will say that in your neck of the woods, if you're into UFOs and paranormal, all roads somehow lead to Joseph Palermo. So you've been at this stuff for a really, really long time, haven't you? <laughs> a very long time, even before I recognized I was involved with it. You know, I mean, from from childhood forward, uh, it's and it wasn't until I actually discovered uh, UFO Study Group of Greater St. Louis. I had, I guess, what I would call my first conscious sighting of a UFO at, at age 14, and uh, I tried to find anything I could about UFOs. And it happened that the UFO Study Group of Greater St. Louis had brought uh, nuclear physicist and ufologist Stanton T. Friedman in. Uh, for a lecture on Project Blue Book. And oh, how long ago was that that you saw Stanton Friedman lecture? Oh, Lord, that would have been... Well, I've... Uh, subsequently, I mean, we've had him here at several show-me conferences that we've put on, but that was... That would have been, I'm going to guess, summer of 73. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yes, a mere lad of 14 or 15 at that point. <laughs> wow, so you... Did he have a beard then? Yes. Okay. Just he just curious. looks a, a little grayer now. He looks almost the same as he always has. Mm-hmm. And I read, um, I think you, you may have actually seen a UFO that even younger than 14, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and there's 
not a lot of detail to it because it was going through the clouds. But um, it, at that point, it, it was summertime. It was a daylight sighting. Uh, friends across the street came out from uh, the backyard yelling that they'd seen something shooting red beamers or something in the sky. And uh, like, what are you talking about? So I went back in the backyard with them, and they were looking southeast in the sky, and I didn't see anything, so I trained my eyes southwest in the sky. And uh, through this bank of clouds, something dipped out of it, something that it, it would, best description I can give you is if you took a, uh, one of those tires on it, like a 747, and laid it flat and then put that up in the clouds and allowed that to dip a little bit out of the clouds, and it also had a red glowing kind of porthole-looking thing on it, and then it went back in the clouds. And uh, my life was never the same since. <laughs> well, that's interesting, because a lot of people in this field, it seems like it usually started for them very early. Mm-hmm. They had something that a lot of people don't ever get the chance to experience, and it just sort of changed the course of their life into trying to answer the question, what the heck was that? <laughs> exactly. Well, I was, I was also influenced because at that time in 1973 here in the, the uh, St. Louis, Illinois area, we were dealing with um, uh, the Momo monster, which is akin to Bigfoot, and we were dealing with uh, Piedmont with UFO sightings down there, and we were dealing with animal mutilations going on up in Ellsbury, Missouri. So in the news, it was more in my consciousness so that when I saw something, I was like, oh, I need to find out about this. You already had a box for it in your brain then. That's actually not as usual for a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. I how they it, say, I think that movie, What the Bleep Do We Know, actually tried to make this really clear that if you don't already have a box or a category in your brain for something mm-hmm. and you see something that doesn't fit all of our presupposed knowledge, mm-hmm. in some cases you will not even see it. <laughs> like, that is a just, fact. That th- is and a that, fact. That's pretty weird. It is strange, isn't it? It is strange. In fact, I'll tell you a quick one. Um, we had a case up in Moscow Mills, Missouri. Uh, I, I, I mean, that could take a whole program alone, but suffice it to say that we had the Missouri State Director of MUFON and the Illinois State Director of MUFON and so, someone else from both sides of the river go up here. And they were at this, so they were at, you know, at the investigation, and something apparently appeared. Uh, the property owner told me that, yeah, we called them in, and, uh, you know, Illinois MUFON saw it, Missouri MUFON said they didn't see it. So I had huh. occasion to be at a, uh, a dinner get-together, and I asked both respective people about it, and sure enough, you know, the Missouri side said, I don't know what that guy was talking about. There wasn't anything there. And I went to the Illinois side and said, yeah. I, I know he says nothing was there, but, but you know, so and so and I both saw it. So it's it's very bizarre, very bizarre. Uh, yeah, and it just makes you wonder: Are certain people predisposed to see or to believe certain things, or does empirical evidence or eyewitness testimony actually change people? Well, that's does a good it... question. Um, the only converts, <laughs> if I can use that word, uh, that I'm aware of are people that have such an experience 
they can't deny it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's, it's not just a sighting. It's, it's a real, solid experience. And those are the people I've got a, a case I'm dealing with right now. You mean later in life, someone who wasn't a believer who saw something as an adult? It could be later in life. Could be uh, earlier in life. It's just it's it just depends on the intensity of the experience. Uh, I have a, uh, a case I'm dealing with right now where this this person in, in uh, University City, Missouri, had a sighting of a triangular shaped craft, and they went on to report it, and then wasn't going to think much of it until a few other things happened to them. And then it turns out, actually, that this particular person and the family have paranormal experiences and such. So it just it kind of opened the door for this person to consider these aspects of, of their life. That's, uh, and, but you've been studying it forever. And I also know that uh, just from the part of your bio I've got posted on live from Roswell mm-hmm. is that you're – what we'll get into later tonight for those who are listening – uh, Paranormal-wise, uh, Joseph has a documentary on chupacabras yeah. that I know next to little or nothing about. So we'll be we'll be turning the program towards uh, both your Bigfoot and chupacabra investigations pretty soon. Sounds good. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely I've not researched that a ton myself either. But um, it, it's just knowing going over your brief bio that I've got posted on there, you personally experienced quite a bit of paranormal phenomena. It looks like. I have. It just seems to follow me or find me. <laughs> I don't really have to go looking for it. Uh, yeah, like like you know, even as a child, you know. And, and later on, at age fourteen, when I had that sighting, and I was able to go to the library and start reading every book on UFOs that I could find, it began explaining some things from childhood. You know, I was uh, uh, born in the city of St. Louis. Uh, to uh, parents that uh, owned a tavern, and we lived above it. And a tavern? A tavern, yes. A right tavern. It was one of two. And uh, we were just, just real quickly, it was a Sunday evening, I remember that. It was uh, probably early summer. We had the windows open. It's nighttime, and I'm looking out, and I see that what appears to be a very, very, very shiny car, black car, down parked, parked down you know, on the street. And I didn't think much of it until this thing began to rise straight up very slowly. A car? And, well, me thinks it wasn't a car. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. And I, I started yelling to Mom and Dad, hey, come look at this thing. You know, And under normal circumstances, I would have been told, be quiet, we're watching TV. They were dead still. Didn't react, didn't blink, didn't anything. Now, later on as I read about abductions, so that would be a state of being switched off. Uh, but I watched this thing rise up. It came past the window, rotated out towards Sportsman's Park, which was we were off of left, uh, left field of, and it sailed right on up into the sky. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it was. And then, well, I mean, and then the parents came, came back to, you know, talking and being normal. But they didn't, uh, did they see what you saw? No. Well, not that I'm aware of, certainly not while I was trying to get them to look at it. Okay. Did you, like, spin around and say, hey, did you see that, or do you remember anything like that back then? I think once it left, I was like, well, okay, that's done. You know, uh, do I want to go, you know, play with my chalkboard or, 
or whatever. Yeah, I was like <laughs> probably three or four. Yeah, that's always tough. <laughs> Play with my truck or bug my parents to find out that I'm. No. But I know um, you jumped into MUFON and other UFO study groups pretty quickly after that. Tell us about, because uh, a lot of people, at least on this program, are familiar with MUFON, mm-hmm. whether they like it or love it or hate it or not. Yeah. But pretty much everyone has got a base of knowing what MUFON is. Mm-hmm. What's, what's all of the work you've done with them? Well, uh, I sought them out this year, or did I seek them out? I believe it was during the Bigfoot investigation that I was doing that I was led back to the UFO study group of Greater St. Louis. And within that group, the, the people that are part of the UFO study group are also typically people of Missouri MUFON. For those of, don't, of the listeners that don't know, MUFON started here in St. Louis. The UFO study I group, didn't know that. Yeah, the UFO study group was the precursor <laughs> to MUFON. Uh, MUFON started out as the Midwest UFO uh, network, and they, uh, I believe it was in 1971 that they actually did their first conference, and when they had people from all over the country attend this, they decided, uh, we can't just be Midwest because we've got people you know, from all over, so that's when they decided to change it to Mutual UFO Network. And, uh, they had to keep the letter M somehow, right? Exactly, exactly. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, Walt Andrus was uh, the uh, became the international director. He lived up in Quincy, Illinois, and most of MUFON came together through people that worked at uh, uh, McDonnell Aircraft. So they were very much, you know, the uh, nuts and bolts, and, you know, that hard science, hard nosed science investigative uh, capacity. And they were, you know, they were investigating the animal mutilations and the Piedmont stuff. And, uh, they actually uh, investigated some of the uh, Momo sightings. So it's uh, some what sightings? I'm sorry. The, the Momo. Missouri, Momo is short for Missouri monster, which is uh, basically, as far as I can determine, uh, of, of the Bigfoot creature, uh, you know, uh, style and, and being. Okay, lots of woods and lakes up there, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's how uh, that's how Mufon got started, and I got started with them from a standpoint of meeting uh, Bruce Whitteman, who is Missouri State Director of uh, Mufon, and uh, started attending meetings. And because of my media background, um, they needed or felt they needed assistance in public relations and public information. So that's kind of how I wound up in there. I, I signed up, became an investigative trainee, and then immediately began kind of writing for, for the, uh, the newsletter. And then in 1985, we had the MUFON Symposium of 1985 here, which had just an incredible host of uh, researchers, uh, Bud Hawkins, Stanton Friedman, uh, Bruce McAbee, um, Lawrence Fossett. Just, we had like nine. And I was the, uh, the first one to actually videotape an entire symposium and make it available to the public. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, because of your background in media and the fact that you're a videographer. So you were like, that's interesting because we're here in Roswell very involved with filming conferences. Mm-hmm. You actually were one of the first people to videotape a UFO conference and make it available? Yes. Yes, I was. And, I, and it, it was more out of annoyance <laughs> because uh-huh. I, we, I was at a study group meeting at one point, 
in they had gotten this video from someplace in, in the United States of some other meeting, some some speaker, and they put it in, and it was so bad. <laughs> Just you know, somebody set a video camera at the very back of this room left it on wide angle, and just let it go. And I'm like, no, Walk away. I, can't see, I can't see facial expressions. I can't tell how this person is feeling about what they're talking about. You know, we, we need to you know, zoom in on the, on the projector screen, do something. And that's when I thought, no, 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 no. I've, if, if I ever have the opportunity, which came up like a year and a half later, I'm going to do this and get it done right. So. Yeah, I've looked at some of your videos online through your website, and you actually have got an, an eye for it, and you obviously take it seriously as an art. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and and a documentarian. I mean, I I uh, am getting more involved in, in movies, you know, fictional and such, and I, I do have some scripts in that. But when it comes to this subject matter, and certain subject matters, documentation is the only way to really in a dynamic fashion communicate to people i can i can stand up and and tell stories all day you know what i'm saying but like with uh, the chupacabra the legend begins documentary that i did and actually i did it in 98 based on the expedition i was in puerto rico in february of 96 to see the eyewitnesses fresh from a sighting fresh from an experience telling you you know it's 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 wonderful because it's like you're there. You don't have to rely on a researcher at a, and, and no offense to conferences, but a researcher at a dry podium with a microphone telling you about it. You get to see them. You know, imagine what it would have been like if, if we could have had that technology and availability, you know, back when, you know, those in 1947. Yeah, yeah, in 1940. Oh, my God. Can you imagine yeah. that? Yeah, some TV cameras show up and start, or an independent person starts interviewing everybody that week. Exactly. Before everything got kind of shut down. That's a good point. Yeah. So, you know, that's working to bring as much truth to people who are interested is really what I'm about. You know, the, uh, the movie making and all that, that's all well and good. I'm a creative person, and, you know, I can, you know, make money to support my habit of paranormal research. You know, so, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, I don't know if you saw my site uh, about the Anomalous Skull, the Star Child Project, uh, with Lloyd Pye. Uh, in fact, he's, uh, if, uh, if you ever really want to get into uh, a show about Bigfoot, are you familiar with Lloyd Pye? Yeah, I've met him here in Roswell. I was going to mention something for our listeners. We have Joseph Palermo, a mutual UFO network and St. Louis study group. Now, you're saying the St. Louis UFO study group predates. Uh, MUFON, right? Yes. Okay, that's interesting already, because uh, your background goes back 25 or 30 years. But uh, just someone in our virtual auditorium posed an interesting question I want to get to before I forget about sure. it. You remember when I asked you if Stanton Friedman had a beard back then when you saw him speak in the 70s? Mm-hmm. Someone's asking, did he have eyebrow afros back then? <laughs> yeah, he had those. He had, he looks, when, when you find a picture of him online right now, or a video of him, just darken the eyebrows. and He looks the same. I don't know how he managed to do that, but yeah. I'm going to get so much hate mail for that. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, whether it's hate mail or if you want to pose a question for Joseph Palermo, uh, my email address is talk to me, T-A-L-K-T-O-M-E, at livefromroswell.com. 
Give us your name. Give us the city you're, call, or you're writing from, or you can call us on our toll-free number that's listed on live from Roswell as well. We'll put you on the air. We're going to be asking Joseph some questions about... Oh, we may skip UFOs at first. I actually want to hear, and we've not talked much on this program ever about Bigfoot and stuff like that. So we'll be going to a break here in just a second. I do need to identify that the program you're listening to live from Roswell is sponsored in part by Alien Resistance Headquarters. We will have a new physical location coming up here in Roswell soon. But alienresistance.org provides biblical perspectives on UFOs and abductions, as well as all those wonderful conference DVDs from past Roswell UFO conferences that we've been talking about here really quickly. I just want to ask you one thing before we go on to break here in just a minute, though. Mm-hmm. We've got, um, you're probably the first person, I just want to find out, is this just because you have a uh, Midwestern accent, or are you the first person I've ever heard on the program pronounce MUFON without it sounding like you're imitating a cow. Are you saying it correctly? <laughs> uh, I'm saying it like I was told that it should be MUFON. Uh, MUFON. MUFON. I mean, that's, maybe that's part of my broadcast background. You, Very good. Very you try good. to sound like you're not from anywhere. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, folks, there you go. MUFON does not begin with the noise that a cow makes. It's MUFON. You heard it from <laughs> one of the people who was there when they got started. We'll be back here after a couple of songs. We have a song from my MySpace Features Artist of the Week that you can see more of their stuff on livefromroswell.com. But right now we have a little ditty coming up from the Red Elvises, and then we'll be right back in about six minutes or so with our new friend, Joseph Palermo. Thanks for listening to Live from Roswell, and we'll be back. Hello, we are back once again live from Roswell. I'm Guy Malone with my guest, Joseph Palermo, and you are listening to a song, Keg of Beer and Potato Chips by the Red Elvises. They're my MySpace featured artist of the week. You can click on and hear more of their music if you go to livefromroswell.com, including a song that has a bad word or two in it, so we're not going to be playing it tonight, but you can listen. It's a good song. But uh, our guest is Joseph Palermo. Um, he's been a, an independent UFO researcher for over 25 years, as well as he has a lot of information and in independent research he's done with Bigfoot and Chupacabras. We'll be getting to that, but I just remembered, uh, since my artist of the week is the Red Elvises, Joseph, that's a segue I cannot ignore, you realize, for radio purposes, huh? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're probably the first person I think I've ever had on the show that has something interesting in their bio. <laughs> Can oh, boy. Tell us about that. You know, you speaking about of it? Elvis. Oh, boy. Well, speaking of Elvis. Yeah, speaking of Elvis. Well, for, for listeners who are interested, um, I, uh, I began an early affinity for Elvis Presley uh, when I was about eight years old. I, uh, my mother was watching one of his movies called Tickle Me, where he plays <laughs> this rodeo uh, this ranch hand guy, and she, you know, said, hey, you want to watch this movie with me? And so I, I see this just extraordinarily good-looking guy with all these girls around him. And it's like, who is that? Because I was girl crazy at the time. You know, <laughs> like, uh, and uh, she 
tried to explain it to me, so then she got some of my sister's old 45s out. And I think the first one that she put on was a song called Stuck on You. And I heard this man's voice. I was mesmerized. I didn't want to hear anything else. Forget the monkeys, forget the Beatles, forget any of that. All I wanted to listen to was Elvis. And uh, <clears throat> I wound up developing my singing voice uh, in that fashion and uh, would go on to do some uh, Elvis performances. So You're an Elvis impersonator to cut yeah, to the chase, huh? Yeah, yeah they, call, they call them Elvis tribute artists now. Ah, so I mean, I guess I'm sort of a ETA, if you <laughs> if you would. But uh, oh, I you know I've always enjoyed it and uh, gotten some good response. In fact, there's some video on my website uh, showing some of that. We uh, actually, I one of my proudest moments is uh, as, as an Elvis performer was back in 1993 when we had those floods here in the St. Louis area, mm. and uh, I uh, got a call from. Uh, the, the Elvis Presley fan club chapter here in the St. Louis area. Actually, they were out from O'Fallon, and they wanted to put on this benefit concert. And I said, sure. You know, and I think we raised like, oh, $1,500 that day. And, and actually, huh. somehow Ross Perot was involved, and he matched the funds. So, you know, I was able to use my Elvis performance uh, to do what Elvis would have been uh, proud of, I think, because he did a lot of charity work with his performances as well. Well, I'm guessing that anybody with a burning interest in Elvis Presley, since you were young enough to be girl crazy, who's also got the the training and the research skills to do documentaries and to uh, to go out and do field investigation for UFOs, Chupacabra, and Bigfoot, you've got to be the one person that could give me an honest answer to this question. Okay. Is Elvis really alive still? Funny you should say that. Now I will give you the oh, answer, no. I will give you okay, the answer okay. that I normally do. If anybody okay. could have done it, he could have. Ah, true. Okay. Um, I mean, we 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 can take a few minutes and talk about that if you want. But it's whatever you yeah, want. Yeah, do. do. Come on, we'll get Bigfoot and Chupacabra next hour. If you got the scoop on Elvis Presley, I want to hear this. Well, here's the deal. Okay, it's about, paranormal, folks. Just cut us some slack. Yeah, about, uh, and I'll make this as quick as possible so we can get back to the what the audience really wants to hear about. About uh, five years ago, there was a psychiatrist out of Kansas City, Missouri, that was claimed that he was treating Elvis Presley. Claimed that the man he was treating was Elvis Presley, and they went so far as to finally be able to get a blood sample from this guy, DNA wow. testing. Now, this is where it gets real tricky because, you know, in Elvis's later years, he was hospitalized quite a bit, and they still had blood samples, of, or, you know, however you call that, on their files of Elvis while we knew he was alive. Then there was the blood samples and reporting upon his demise, and then there's this guy that claims to be Elvis. All three samples are different. Oh. All three are different. So forget the guy in Kansas City. What happened to this 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 blood that was supposed to be Elvis's blood on the autopsy versus when we knew he was alive? 
So you're saying that the blood reported from his autopsy is different from the blood that was really his while he was alive and hospitalized? Correct. That's just an established Elvis historical fact, huh? That's a fact. That was reported uh, on Fox 2 News here in St. Louis uh, via, I guess, the, the affiliate down in Memphis. And they said that the Dade County Sheriff's Department was going to be looking into this. So it's like, whoa. I think it was Dade County. But, yeah, I mean, it, it made the news. So I thought, well, <laughs> I, don't know, I, I don't know whether he is or ain't, but we got a whole other mystery here now. So there you go. And then the third guy, you said a psychiatrist was reporting that someone who was treating Elvis, he had a blood sample that was different from either of those two? Exactly. Oh, okay. So apparently not. <laughs> okay. Sorry, everybody, it's not Elvis. So in your professional opinion, Elvis is? Elvis is probably gone. I have to say that uh, because it would, oh, Lord, what would it be? He was born in 35. So, okay, but he died in what seventy nine allegedly? Uh, August sixteenth, nineteen seventy seven. Seventy seven. Do you think Elvis lived longer than August of seventy seven? I do. I think. Oh I, I wow! Think, cool. I think there's enough evidence to support that likelihood. Um, just because there, there's there were too many questions. The autopsy report. There was interestingly enough. Um, I, ho I hope everybody knows who Bill Bixby is. Um, the actor? The actor. Who you wouldn't like when he's angry. I'm sorry? You wouldn't like me when I'm angry, Bill Bixby? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Also the My Favorite Martian, Bill Bixby. And Don't Eat uh, the Daisies. Okay. And, and also the Bill Bixby that starred with Elvis in uh, Speedway. With that I did not know. <laughs> yeah. He started with Elvis, and it was because of his close relationship with Elvis and knowing him. Later on, I, I'm going to guess it was probably just a few years after Elvis's leaving the building, so to speak, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, Bill Bixby came out with a video called The Elvis Tapes, or The Elvis Files. And in this video, Bill Bixby, this man that knew Elvis and worked with him, is saying, you know, he's lining out A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I... He's laying out this whole batch of information that really throws a question on whether Elvis died August 16th or not. Wow. I'm going to have to look that up then. Yeah. I have no idea where it's at. I mean, that was, good Lord, we're talking, well, I'd say back in probably 1980, 1981, something like that. But it, was a, it was a video in, in, in stores, and I naturally grabbed it and looked at it and like, hmm. And then this other thing where Elvis alive blood, Elvis allegedly dead blood, they don't match. They're, so, okay, so whose blood was used for the autopsy report? Well, I hope you run with my idea here. We'll get back to some more. I mean, Elvis, Bigfoot, UFOs, I think that qualifies as paranormal talk fodder. But uh, maybe you can do your own investigation on that eventually and give hey, you a new... Uh, give you a new uh, topic or a new thing to, <laughs> to do a documentary on. I get the first copy. You never know. There you go. You get the first copy. <laughs> okay. Now, if you have a question that you want to pose to Joseph Palermo tonight, talk to me at livefromroswell.com. Send an email. We'll throw it on there. But um, 
just as one of the biggest pages on your website as you navigate it, you've got a huge amount of info on Bigfoots as well. Mm-hmm. Give us a couple of thoughts on who, what, where on, on the Sasquatch phenomenon. No, 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 no. Who, what, where? Well, who is a, a really good question. I guess who would be all the people that have experienced and reported uh, what? That's a real good question. Uh, <laughs> you talk to Lloyd Pye, uh, who, when I met him, I didn't know he was into Bigfoot and all that. I had to, to get his book, uh, I believe it's Everything You Know is Wrong, Book One, Human Origins, to even find out that he knew about Bigfoot. But, um, you know, Bigfoot goes back centuries. You know, uh, right. Sasquatch was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Indian name for him. When I had my encounter, um, it was September 14th and 15th, 1976, and it was the night before my karate testing. And this this is where it gets really weird because, um, well, I have to tell you one to tell you the other. So, anyway, okay. Um, buddy of mine and I had, uh, you know, we had, had the girls out Saturday night. We went to Creepcore Park here in St. Louis County, Missouri, and they got spooked by something. So... Took them home, and as we're on the way back, my buddy's saying, "You want to go back and find out what was making the shadows on the car?" And I'm, I'm condensing this because I don't know how much we want to go into it. So I said, and I was, oh, so naive in those days. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, my buddy's a Golden Glove boxer. I'm getting ready to go for my green belt testing. You know, here's two young men. We can take on anything. Presuming it was human, of course. So we go back out to the park. And uh, we go down by the lake area, which is where we were before, but this time we go all the way back to an area called uh, where the falls are. We have this um, Creep Corps Indian girl legend thing, and there are these falls. And it's a circular path back there. So we go back there. It's about 10.20 in the morning now. And I park kind of facing the fault. I have my 67 Chevy station wagon with me. And turn the engine off. Have it in park. We crack the windows a little bit so we can hear somebody comes up on us. And after a mm, minute, minute and a half, it starts getting boring for me. And I start to say something, and my buddy goes, shh. Like, what? And he says, there's something over there by the path. Topic uh, here is Bigfoot, in case your you audio know, went out, folks. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's used to looking at dark. I'm not. And it, it's moving along. I want to know, he says, it looks like it's looking at the car. And I said, where is it? And he points across. His eyes are kind of burning him, so he leans down. I lean across and and track his fingers, and I see something massively huge. I used to say like two rows of greers put together. (laughs) Lumber between two trees. And on the first tree, there was actually a notch that I noticed on it. So I said, ooh, this doesn't bode well. So I started the car up. And he said, wait a second. Let's see if we can get a better look. And I'm thinking, well, okay, all i got to do is drop it and, and drive and punch the accelerator, and we'll be out of here. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try this. And so then he tells me it looks like it's looking at the car. And I said, well, I want to see what's looking at my car. So I reach it without telling my buddy who's looking out the passenger window. I reach up, and I turn on the headlights. And he starts jumping up and down and saying, oh, my God, go, 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 oh, my God, oh, my God, go. I said, okay, that's the cue, drop it and drive and go, which I did. And uh, that that set me off on a five-year 
got a little hairy. Uh, Untaken. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it involved a, uh, a researcher out of, in fact, I think it may have been Arizona, uh, at an animal research center in Arizona, I think it was. Uh, uh, we found some blood samples in our investigations and sent them uh, to this person, and allegedly they were sent on to Washington, D.C., because as far as this particular center went, they couldn't identify the blood as being anything known to be living in the northern hemisphere. That's what I was told. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. Uh, and he was supposed to be coming up here to do his own investigation, and then he never, he never made it. Uh, as, as I understand from a, a buddy of mine that knew this fellow, he's alive, but he was told, you guys need to stop looking into this. Huh. So. Forcibly. Forcibly, yeah. With a definite air of dum, 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 dum in, in his voice? Uh, probably, yeah. I mean, he was, uh, the, the story has it, he was on his way up here to do his own investigation. He got pulled over and was told, you're no longer working at that center. You're working for us, and you're not going to St. Louis. You're going to go here. And that's the way it went. So, but where did you go from there? Wait a minute, I, I skipped some, or I missed something. Uh, he, he turned your research and told you to look elsewhere on purpose? No, he 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 actually never showed up here. Okay. My friend, who knew this person, ran into him one night uh, in a local bar or whatever and had like this two-minute conversation. He said, I really can't be seen with you. Here's the scoop. Leave it alone. See ya. So I don't know, but uh, in all the research I've done regarding Bigfoot, I'm I'm inclined at this point to think that it very likely is something that at least has an interdimensional capability to it. In 1979, December of 79, uh, I didn't get to see it, but the people that I, we were all at Creeper Park again, Looked, trying to find any kind of cave area that this thing might be able to exist in. Okay, as a home or a place to hide? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, we found this real little opening that even the, the smallest gal that was with us couldn't fit in under. So uh, the, the larger fellow, his name was Rick, who was trying to help out, said, go up around and see if there's another opening at the top of this thing. So I trudge on up there, and we had walkie-talkies and such, and I got up there, and there wasn't anything, so I radioed back down. I said, nope, I don't see any, any openings. Uh, you know, what's going on down there? And there was silence. I said, Rick, I don't see, see anything. Do you read me over? Nothing. And then I realized around me the most quiet stillness. One of the, one of the times in my life that I experienced this absolute nothing. No wind, no no animals, no anything. And I thought to myself, something's wrong. So I headed back down along the side of this rock formation, and I hear these, this hopping and, and footprints, and Rick is running into the woods. And uh, one of the gals had gotten bored. You know, the, the one gal is trying to look under the, the opening with Rick. I'm up around top. She's not doing anything, so she picks up the field glasses. And she's looking, just just looking, and 
all of a sudden this, this dark mass fills her field of vision. And she takes him down, and this creature had come probably within 25, 30 feet of us. And when she took the glasses down and had, had that time to recognize that something was there, it turned around and bolted. And that's actually what scared her. She said it wasn't that there was something that close. It was that something that massive could turn and move that fast. Mm. And that was the, uh, the last encounter, actually. Um, but I've, I've gotten other reports of people seeing strange things in, in the general vicinity of where we have had our experiences. And uh, something's been there. That's for sure. I wish uh, I wish I'd have been able to keep some of those blood samples that we had. But again, a young naive investigator, you know, trusting and that sort of thing. And you had blood samples of what may or may not have been a Bigfoot Sasquatch Yeti. You turned them over to someone thinking mm-hmm. they were going to help you and never got them back. Huh? Right. Right. In Aww. fact, we we initially uh, and and I didn't know this until much later, but we. Uh, when we were out looking uh, just to see what we could see, we came across these blood samples. There was a, uh, a fellow up the hill that we passed going in, and one of the people in, in this three-person team that I was part of was following these dog tracks, and the dog tracks led to a given point and stopped. They didn't turn left or right, didn't back up. So then a little bit later down the path, we find this area that initially it looked like just pure newly laid snow but then after i looked at it closer it's like i'm seeing hair on the snow and then there was an actual piece of flesh on uh this this patch of hair and the hair was a uh, black root uh golden tan in color going out and my buddy who knew dogs pretty well said that looks like a uh, shepherd dog hair and he remarked that the foot the footprints looked like they were from a pretty decent-sized dog. So we gather all these things up in a Ziploc, which I know now is not what you're supposed to put evidence in. But anyway, like I said, young and naive, we go back, and this fellow that was up on the hill has moved down by the uh, lake water. And so we're walking the path, and we meet up with him, and, you know, it's typical, hey, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. And he said, not so good, man. I lost my dog last night. Oh, no. And we're all looking at each other, and like, he's like, hey, have you seen a dog? I said, well, no, but we'll, we'll call out if we have. You know, and we kept moving down the path, and one of the guys said, don't we need to tell him? I said, tell him what? Tell him that we think Bigfoot ate his dog? We have no evidence of that until we get this someplace we can get it analyzed. And uh, one of these guys knew an area, veterinarian, that he could call a favor on, which he did, and then was told, well, part of this is definitely canine blood. Mm-hmm. The other, I can't identify. I don't want to identify. I don't want anything more to do with this. And no, you may not use my name with this. Do not call <laughs> me in any way, shape, or form. And uh, so that, you know, that trail went cold, so to speak. Being a researcher is not always easy. <laughs> yeah, I know, especially when, you know, you've got Elvis blood samples and Bigfoot samples in the same briefcase, and 
God I know, knows when it gets happened, mixed up, it uh, makes a mess. Yeah. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Somebody else brought that up. But I'm not going to call her out for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, we actually have, for folks that like to listen in and uh, be very participatory, the program, if you're on live from Roswell.com and the red button that tells you how to listen, you can go to the Pow Talk download link, and this is what we call our virtual auditorium. While we have uh, uh, several thousand listeners, we usually have uh, 30 or 40 people who are listening to the program over their computer speakers as well as engaging in typed conversation sometimes. And I, I try to watch that. If you guys have a question for Joseph or a comment, it can be snide. It can be sarcastic. Hopefully it will be serious and inquisitive and respectful, but whatever. Um, email me at talktomealivefromroswell.com. Call our toll-free number that is on livefromroswell.com and or uh, log into the virtual auditorium. Follow the instructions for that. And so I just want to throw that out. We break in two minutes. But I did want to ask you, um, now you've got an online video that shows the extent of some of your, um, or actually it's for sale. What is it, 350 Watch your videos online? $3.50 for the uh, Chupacabra, The Legend Begins, and it is a video download. It's not a DVD. It's not a VHS. You you go there and and, and go through the, uh, the mechanism to purchase it. And when you purchase it, you are then uh, given a download key. And you just work that. It's a quick time video. And uh, you download it straight to your computer. There's uh, no no mess, no hassle, no anything. You just go do it. No middleman either. No middleman. Instead of paying $20 for a physical DVD, which Walmart gets $10 of or something like that. So actually, I like this because it's like from the creator, whether it's music or DVDs, it's, it's like from the creator, mm-hmm. the researcher, to the public. Exactly. And I'm Very not... inexpensive, no middlemen. Exactly. You get paid and you can continue your research. So that's a good system you got set up there. Well, I appreciate that. Appreciate so in the second I have left, or a minute, um, we'll be back for a whole other hour with Joseph Palermo. So be sure to email me and keep listening after this break. But you're more or less convinced that um, the Bigfoot creature exists yes. and is also interdimensional in nature, right? There's a lot of, of evidence that would indicate that, yes. Okay. After we come back from the break, I want you to uh, detail a little bit more. Like you said already, the, the footprints just stopped and went and quit, right? The footprints of the dog. And my, oh, okay. this wasn't of the Bigfoot. The, my, my contention on that is the, the animal sensed something, and the, and the Bigfoot came out of nowhere and smacked it and lifted it right off its feet. All right. We're going to a break here with another uh, song from the Red Elvises. And when we come back, I'm going to pick up with, tell us why you think Bigfoot is interdimensional or more than your average semi-intelligent primate. And then we'll probably branch into your biggest and uh, probably most uh, well-known documentary on chupacabras. And everything you ever wanted to know about the chupacabra will be following this break with the Red Alphuses and more from the Paranormal Radio Network. October paranormal, very paranormal edition of Live from Roswell.com on the most paranormal month of them all. Thanks for the spooky music preceding mine there, Joe Montado, our producer. 
And we have as a guest tonight, um, Joe. Oh, I'm sorry, Joseph Palermo, who's in the St. Louis area, and he is a very. He's been an independent researcher for 25 and 30 years on many topics, including uh, UFOs from when the MUFON organization got its start there in St. Louis. He works with an organization that is still kicking in St. Louis and predates them. But mostly tonight we've been talking a little more on the odder, stranger spectrum, perhaps, of paranormal stuff. Um, Joseph does film documentaries, and he's got information on his website, which is linked from livefromroswell.com, both on Bigfoot and Chupacabras. And right before... Uh, we were going to the break. He was telling us how he believes Bigfoot may have something or an interdimensional aspect to his nature, smarter than the average primate, I guess. But I want to find out first, just if we have our virtual auditorium, Chopin has got a hand up, which means uh, as long as they stayed with us during the break, we'll be able to uh, put a listener on with a question. So Joe and Chopin, go ahead and do that. We may have dead air for about 10 seconds before that person comes on. Chopin, go ahead and ask your question for Joseph Palermo. Barney and Betty Hill story and and a, a number of other 
you know, books on UFOs where <clears throat> the people didn't want to get involved. People didn't want to have their name associated, you know, this, that, and the other. So while it was disappointing, it wasn't necessarily a surprise. Uh, okay, the next one. Well, someone in our virtual auditorium posed a question. And Chopin, just uh, uh, tell us if you want to continue that theme. I see your hand up. Joe is away for a second. He must be watching New Orleans football right now or something. <laughs> Joe, I mean, our producer, because, you know, they're actually winning for the first time this year on TV, though. But anyhow, um, <laughs> someone on the, the archive, you can, if you want to pose a question to Joseph, by the way, our guest, talk. you can email me. Talk to me at livefromroswell.com. You can put your hand up in our virtual auditorium. Or we have a toll-free number at talk to me at livefromroswell.com at the top of the page. But Paranormal Mysteries asks a question, and I think there's a presumption in this question, but it says, if they, and I'm assuming Bigfoot, if they don't want to be found, why show themselves to campers and hunters alike? Now, that question does presuppose they don't want to be found. Right. But what do you think about that, whether or not they want to be found, and why do they occasionally show themselves? Well, I think what winds up happening is that while Bigfoot is considered to be nomadic in nature, they are territorial. I mean, some of the earliest reports uh, that we have is uh, where they apparently came back in a given region where there were uh, loggers and, and camp setups and all that. And uh, one of the earliest stories I've ever read was about these guys being in the cabin one night and just being barraged by, you know, large rocks and, and uh, you know, big, I don't want to say sticks, but, you know, uh, they were attacked. Um, and, in fact, the situation in Creepcore Park, uh, part of what kept me going on this research and investigation, <clears throat> which brings me back to another part of the story that I'll tell in a second, was because the park was beginning to undergo renovation at that time. Ah. Didn't know that. I mean, I'm out there. It's 1230 in the morning. I can't see what's going on. It took us a week to be able to get back to location to try to investigate anything. But when we went back there, there was straw all over the place. They were beginning to renovate Creevecore Park to what it is today. And I had a friend from high school that was working uh, with, somehow, somehow he was working in association with Creevecore Park. And he knew the rangers out there. And when I came and said, have you heard anything about anything odd happening out in Creevecore Park? He looked at me and said, you're talking about Bigfoot, aren't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, and he went on to tell me that the the rangers that had to patrol the park at night used to draw straws to see who got the short end of the stick and who had to go through there. Oh. Uh, he told me about uh, that there were poles that would be put in the ground, you know, like on a Friday evening, and the people would come back Monday to work on it, and these poles would be ripped back up out of the ground. Uh, I saw a... Um, a park bench type thing that had been, I guess, hauled or thrown or whatever into the lake right at water's edge. And these, we're talking about park benches that are kind of bolted into concrete. Uh, there was a lot of bizarre things going on at that point. Uh, and that's what really spurred me to say, okay, something else is happening besides what I saw. And um, uh, speaking of that, the, the the reason I mentioned my martial arts training earlier was because... Mm -hmm. You're a brown belt, right? Uh, 
close enough. <laughs> Greenbelt a little was nerdy. Yet, but, a little nerdy told me. But this, but this is why I'm not an actual full-fledged brown belt. I had the very next day I had karate testing, and of course I've just gone through this experience the night before in Creepcore Park with this thing, and everything else I was fine with. All the you know the being able to talk about the history of Weichiru and being able to do the basic katas and this and that and the other. I was fine with that. I was the only white belt that was ever started being taught the brown belt kata because my sensei fully expected me to get my brown belt. Went go that far. And I mm. went for the kumite for the fighting part and I faced off with the black belt. And all of a sudden, I, my vision is back to the night before. Oh. I'm seeing this thing moving between two trees. I'm, I, I don't know what in psychology it might be called. I wasn't at the dojo. I was back in Creepcore Park the night before. And what brought me back to reality was I heard, when, with testings, they you know, often invite friends and family and all that, and I heard this very loud, <gasps> you know, from the group. And I came back in time to see this guy throwing some techniques, which I dodged around at. And then I lost my, my glasses. Because of my dodging around, my glasses came off. And I got in trouble for that. You know, did you know you had testing coming up? Yes, sir. Where are your glass bands at home, sir? This could cost you your testing. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know. Oh. And uh, so I was only able to go to uh, fifth Q, which is uh, green belt with a brown tip. But that was the effect that that night had on me. I just, I, I have, and I haven't experienced that since. It's like, what made my mind go back? Here I am in the middle of a fight, and I'm gone. Like, wow, I don't, I don't get that. But I'm okay, so. <laughs> okay, well, that's just interesting. Yeah. Um, we, we have uh, Chopin is going to come back on with a question right here. Okay. And uh, uh, we do get a little 10-second drag time delay, right. so hang with us, both Joseph and listeners. So, Chopin, go ahead with your next question.
some portion of Bigfoot sightings could be uh, could have a government connection. In other words, back I guess I'm trying to remember which war she said it was. Anyway, probably um, probably during the Hitler time. Anyway, our side was trying to develop the optimum soldier. And whatever experiments were going on, and you know the, the story of the Hulk may not be too far off here, guys. The Incredible Hulk? Yeah. That all of a sudden they, they, they had turned this human into this creature. Uh, now, I've also noticed in my research that there have been five-toed Bigfoot tracks and four-toed Bigfoot tracks. Now, whether that has any bearing on the difference between a natural Bigfoot and a genetically created Bigfoot, I'm not sure. But if what this girl reported is accurate, then that would tend to support the idea that there is some sort of government involvement somewhere along the way. And I, I, I guess instead of government, a, a some sector, let's say, because the, the general government, they don't know anything. It's, it's these little secret sectors that know what they're doing. Um, and as for the interdimensional aspect, I say that because these things just seem to be able to, like, disappear so fast. It's not funny. Now, I, I would think that if you had something that was as big as a Bigfoot is supposed to be running, uh, there should be more tracks. There should be a way to, to find. You know, there have been expeditions out. Uh, um, interdimensionality just seems to be a reasonable possibility with these things. Okay, uh, I'm going to go somewhere that it will seem belittling for just a second, but it's seriously not, because you're tying together. You've already hinted that you think Bigfoot and UFOs may sort of overlap, perhaps some do with each other, at least on the interdimensional basis alone. Mm -hmm. But... I, like probably most of our listeners, am old enough to remember, and you are too, mm -hmm. when the best, coolest story arc ever that happened on the $6 million man and the bionic woman was all about Sasquatch and UFOs and aliens and stuff like right. that. Right. Comment on that. I mean, do you think there is an overlap between Bigfoot and UFO, and do you think someone on the inside knew enough to make it a story arc? Well, here's an interesting point on that. Um talking about interdimensionality, and it kind of actually, for a moment, I'm going to tie this into the chupacabra. Okay. The thing that both of these creatures have in common, not appearance, not behavior, but this very strange, foul odor. It's just not reported with other animals, other creatures. Um, and both, both seem to... I don't have it. I'm hesitating because I don't have any direct evidence, but there just seems to be such an unnaturalness about some. And when we're talking about Bigfoot or the Chupacabra, these are names that have been given to specifically seen creatures. Now, by odor, are you? I'm, you're reporting that other people say this. Mm -hmm. Are you talking like really, really bad body odor or dead animal, or more like sulfur and brimstone? More or like, well, um, one report on the Chupacabra says it's like a pig farm smell, only stronger, a urine smell. One was an indication of, like, very pungent, like battery acid. 
Um, and that's because we as human beings, if you say something stinks, uh, you say like a rotten egg, oh, okay, then there's a common reference because we both know what a rotten right. egg smells like. People that I've had many thrown at me, yeah. <laughs> People that report these odors can't, they say, well, it's kind of like this, but not. So they, there's, there's not a common reference point for these scents, these odors. So the closest they can come is describing this, but I found it very intriguing in my research that both Bigfoot and Chupacabra are, de- are described with this foul odor. Uh, does it have any bearing on the idea that they are here one moment and take a step and then they've suddenly disappeared into a different dimension or frequency? They poop like Nightcrawler or something. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know, but <laughs> the, the the fact that these things are able to escape so easily lends, at least you want to consider that as a possibility. So is it is the smell, is there a word you can say, it smells like urine, it smells like pig farm, you know, that's what you were saying, it's, it's excrement, or is it more, I don't know, go ahead. Well, and they're asking this. See, that's a sixty-four thousand dollars question because you have different people using different descriptions to describe it. Uh, foul odor. Well, what does that mean? Pungent odor. Well, we have a little bit better idea, but exactly what is it? Pungent, like I've got way too much ammonia around me, or or what? Right. Right. And they right. don't okay. have a specific thing that they can say, yeah, like that. But in researching lots of Bigfoot sightings and lots of chupacabras, mm-hmm. I guess we'll cover that after this next break coming up in three minutes. Because I really, for folks that uh, want to link and look at his website for Joseph, it's linked from livefromroswell.com. $3.50, you can download a 90-minute documentary that he did the research. He flew down to where? Puerto Rico? Puerto Rico. Canovanus, Puerto Rico. Yeah, interviews all kinds of witnesses, including uh, mayor and police and all that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and plug that right now because um, your work has appeared on, gosh, what was it, Discovery Channel? It's used you in relation to what? Well, let, let me correct that real quick because okay. I've, I've had interest from three different production companies in footage for my documentary. And for some odd reason, at the very end when they, they were supposed to get it and make the deal, they backed off. Oh, okay. So I don't know. I don't know what the deal was. Um, Crazy governmental putting the foot down on that it. That could something. be. I mean, I, I've also that's also happened to me with uh, other radio programs. And thank you, guy, for being strong. And if anybody called you to say, "Don't put this man on," you didn't back down. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> well, you uh, see, that's the, the that's one of the benefits of doing things last minute, like I do. Ah, you know, nobody knew. <laughs> we just have a very good audience who tunes in, whatever, and if they don't like you, they'll turn it off. Ah. But I know your work has been, you've been, I would really have to be able to look at your bio again, but mm-hmm. you've done work for Cable Channel and one major network, we'll say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, yeah. Something I, like Discovery, something like sci Yeah, I've, I've had top-level production, yeah. Okay, so we're not saying that what you'll get is, is television quality per se because you're mainly a one-man crew editing, mixing, photographing, asking the questions, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But yes, on QuickTime, 
if you uh, go to Joseph Palermo's site, link from live from Roswell.com right now, or it's always in the archives for October 14, 2007, you can actually pay $3.50 and watch a 90-minute Chupacabra video right there on demand on your computer. And own it. I mean, it downloads to their computer, and they own that puppy. Okay. Right on. Right on. I know we're just a minute away from our break. I am going to mention we've got... Uh, our MySpace featured artist of the week. One more song by the Red Elvis is coming up. We'll be back in about six minutes. But while you're uh, listening to music and our programming notes, you can go to livefromroswell.com. You, there's a link into Joseph Palermo's sites where you can get all info on this. And under that really serious-looking picture of him, I've got a link to his MySpace page, too, since I mentioned MySpace. Email me over the break. Talk to me at livefromroswell.com with a question for Joseph. And we'll be back after... Uh, for another half an hour right after these messages. Thanks for hanging with us through that uh, final break on Live from Roswell, folks. We have Joseph Palermo, an independent UFO investigator for nigh 30 years now, and uh, he does documentaries and research projects, which have also involved, uh, other than UFOs, Bigfoot and Chupacabra. Joe's website is linked from livefromroswell.com, and you can download videos that actually, uh, one's a 90-minute Chupacabra video, and that's kind of where I wanted to come back to because, um, one, that's what I told the MySpace audience, but um, the, tonight's topic was chupacabras. Mm-hmm. So let's start uh, hilling up from St. Louis, your neck of the woods, by the way, wants to know, uh, give us a working definition, what are chupacabras? Chupacabras, uh, well, I'll, I'll give it to you like uh, the veterinary uh, down in Puerto Rico, uh, Dr. Carlos Soto, uh, said we know for sure that it's a predatory creature, and we know for sure that it's an unknown creature. Um, what is it? Uh, it's a it's a combination of characteristics that shouldn't exist. This thing, it's it's okay. And, and as I'm going along this, let me preface this with this: when people say "ah chupacabra," it's not necessarily the chupacabra that I am aware of in Puerto Rico. There has been uh, a case in Texas uh, called the, uh, El- the Beast of Elmendorf, which, which clearly, in my mind, is canine, uh, has no resemblance whatsoever to the illustrations of the chupacabra that we have received from Puerto Rico. Okay? Okay. Uh, the, the chupacabra in Puerto Rico uh, is supposed to have three toes, three fingers, with claws, not fingernails, and, and Madeline Tolentino, one of the uh, eyewitnesses, she's actually, she saw it once, um, along with her mother and her and uh, garage worker that worked across the street for her husband's garage, and she smelled the stench again. But uh, three toes, three claws, very small, slender hands and fingers, slender arms, body structure similar to a kangaroo, uh, very powerful upper legs, uh, torso, uh, 
a head that would resemble, would remind some people of the gray aliens, just the overall shape and the, the large eyes. Uh, and the, the eyes are very intriguing. I'll get to that in a second. And some sort of a appendages from about the top of the skull on down back, down the um, backbone, down to the tailbone, that I don't... I don't want to mislead anybody, but peacock in nature, they're multicolored, and when this thing gets excited, they apparently stand up off of the body and then quiver horizontally. Like a porcupine, maybe. Like a porcupine. But this thing is supposed to have hair, it's supposed to have scales, and it's supposed to have feathers. Now, biology tells us no. Doesn't happen too often. You know, that's it, it, not supposed to have all this. Uh, so assuming you think this creature is real, and I'm not, but you can answer mm-hmm. that if you like, do you think this is some kind of uh, man-made hybrid genetic thing gone awry? Uh, well, made by somebody, anyway. Uh, one of the stories that I got, that see, when, I, when I went to Puerto Rico, I shot 10 hours of video. And when I came back, the first video that I put together was over three hours. And people said, no, 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 way too long. So I've trimmed it down <laughs> to 90 minutes. Um, if I have people out there that are really serious about researching and want all of the data that I've got, I might consider putting that entire three hour and ten minutes online for purchase for really serious you know, investigators. But one of the stories that is not included in the 90-minute documentary is... Uh, a story about uh, this farm person. I don't know if it was a residence or a farm or whatever it was, but uh, he had his his animals, and, and this thing goes after both domestic and agricultural animals. <clears throat> uh, his animals have been attacked, and he thought, "Well, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna set up for this thing." And he set up lights in his backyard. This thing primarily does its work at night, and. He has his machete. And a lot of people down there have machetes, you know, a rainforest, I guess, whatever. But he was going to wait for this thing. And sure enough, he, he heard his uh, rabbits squealing. And people down in Puerto Rico keep rabbits like we keep dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. So he sneaks out there and he tells his wife, when I give you the signal, turn the light on. So he sneaks out, gives her the signal. The lights come on. This creature is... is putting its hands up in front of its face like it's blinded, and it runs directly at this guy. Ooh. This guy just starts waving his hand with the, you know, with the uh, machete. And he reported that when he hit this thing, that it made a drum-like sound, like you hit a five-gallon drum, like, a, as Jorge put it, like a timbal. Boom, boom. Now, to make a sound like that, almost implies that there's something metallic, almost like maybe this thing's hollow. Maybe this thing is more android. Uh, I, I don't know. There's, there, haven't, there hasn't been any blood of this thing. Uh, pardon me. There's a, uh, one of the interesting notations that Dr. Soto made about all the animal uh, victims of this thing that he's examined is there's no saliva 
Now, the more I thought about that, and I, I wondered, because all these animals seem to have a collection of six puncture wounds. And the more I thought about that, the more I thought, oh, three fingers on each hand? Right. Grab, claws, Plus three, three puncture more. wounds. Aha, this is why there's no saliva, maybe. So then... Like it's sucking it out, or...? Well, it... This is where it gets really crazy. This thing makes puncture wounds into its animal victims, and through the puncture wound, and this is in the video, where Dr. Soto is, is demonstrating, he shows... You actually have a photograph or video of a dead animal with six puncture wounds. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. That's what I wanted people to get. Yeah, on the, video, on, the uh, video. on the video, they'll see both a duck and both and the head of a rabbit that were... For those of you who are squeamish, uh, try to look at it from a scientific standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> but what Dr. Soto was indicating was that on a, on, a, on a given one of the animals that he necropsied, that while there was a hole here, one hole on the outside, that hole, as he peeled back layer after layer, that hole led to sometimes three, four, five other holes under the skin. One hole on the outside, four or five on the inside. And he could trace these holes, in some cases, to the animal's liver, to the animal's heart, to the animal's stomach. And it's almost as though, surgically, strips of these organs were removed. Mm. Now, that, that almost gets us into the category of UFOs and animal mutilations. That it does. <laughs> you know, and, and what I found really interesting, and again, when, when, when I'm doing a shoot as a videographer, I'm focused on getting the image and getting the sound. I'm not necessarily paying attention to what's being said. So later on in working with this, I noticed when we were in Mayor Soto's office in Canovanas, Puerto Rico, he brought out uh, A Strange Harvest by Linda Moulton Howe. Yeah. And he's got that on his guest, and he's flipping through it, and he's pointing to pictures. And so I'm thinking, oh, well, okay, wait a second. Are we talking about animal mutilations like alleged UFO activity, or are we dealing with animal mutilations like from this weird creature? So we, we get into this potential for misidentification. Uh, anytime an animal got killed down there, the first cry was, ah, chupacabra. Uh, there have been varying descriptions of weird creatures, some, some more bat-like than this particular creature, uh, which also brings me back to the Bigfoot part, that when you, when, if you ever see something that resembles a Bigfoot, it may or may not be a terrestrial-based Bigfoot. Uh, there was some research that was going on with some ufologists, uh, and I'm not entirely sure where the communication came from. I think it was uh, hopefully, hopefully not being offen offensive to anybody, but channeled information. Uh, and this kind of ties into your question about aliens and Bigfoot, that, that 
some... So if it's a non-terrestrial Bigfoot, that makes it a... Extraterrestrial Bigfoot. Wookie! Yeah. There, there uh, you go. I stole that from Ivan. <laughs> that was totally Ivan's call. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's entirely possible that there's supposed to be this race of creatures that resemble Bigfoot, that as I understand it from the information I've been told, there's a race called, I believe it's called, the spelling is like U-T-Z, Utes or Utes, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, and maybe those are the interdimensional ones. I don't know. Uh, there, there is a ton of research and investigation yet to be done in all of these categories. And what we really need are, are for the researchers that are out there or the investigators getting this field data, this raw data in, we need to compile this someplace so we can all have access to it. Um, because the Bigfoot, I mean, Sasquatch, that's the Indian term. That dates back, you know, Bigfoot has been seen in the in North America probably for centuries. Then you've got the, what, Asian cousin of the abominable snowman? Yeti. Uh, Yeti, correct. Um there's there's a picture there, when we were little we had well maybe when you were little I don't know I, I'm trying to think if I had it anyway the connect the dots drawings oh uh, yeah totally there's there's a lot of dots out here that need to be connected uh, and the only way to do that is a sharing of data sharing of information and that's uh, I think that's the crux of, of the problem for research today. You know, yeah. someone with your background, I'm, I'm remembering, um, you're working to put together an Internet television show. Yes. And I know just a while back we had John Greenwald, uh, the known UFO researcher. He also does UFO documentaries for the History Channel right. and other documentaries. But he mentioned that the big push in Hollywood right now has to do with um, broadband Internet television shows that never go on our regular TVs, you know, that we change channels for. Right but they're more or less on demand or at least released only on the Internet. It's, it sounds like you've kind of got the jump on Hollywood on this, but what are you actually doing to bring some of this together onto a television program that people can watch online? And I will tell people before you answer that, Joseph, sorry, mm-hmm. last call for email. Talk to me at livefromroswell.com. We've got about seven minutes left here, so if you got to want to pose a quick question or comment, shoot it off to me, and I'll uh, pose it to our guest, Joseph Palermo. Yeah, come on, talk to us. Okay, in relation to your question, uh, the program, uh, let's see, actually this kind of started a, a couple of years ago when I was uh, doing video for an a, a organization here in St. Louis called StrayRescue.org. Uh, and Stray they, Rescue, like animals? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. My, uh, my, my cat is a uh, rescue. And uh, I was doing videotape for one of these programs uh, for it's like an end-of-year gala, end-of-year fundraiser, and kind of reporting to people who have donated money, you know, the, the benefits that they derive, blah, blah, blah. Well, this particular year, uh, actress and animal activist Linda Blair was the featured speaker. And she talked about how she had this calling and decided to dedicate a big part of her life to her animal activism. And... I came away with that going, you know, the paranormal has been part of my life, all of my life. And uh, 
I, in this past February, I lost my mother. I'd been taking care of her for quite a while. And I kind of, I, I, I reached the point where, you know what? I, I really need to rededicate myself to paranormal investigation. From that sprang the concept of, hey, how about at least an internet television program where I can, I can, you know, I, I, where I can document, video document the, the, the investigations I go on and the, the people I work with and all that. And uh, I thought, yeah, this could work. This could work. And so I decided to call it Walking with the Paranormal. And that's how it sprang forward. And that's what, in fact, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of shooting tape uh, right now for the first episode, which is going to deal with uh, uh, the, the rigors of photo or video analysis. Uh, when I was, uh, the only thing that I've actually gotten on tape, I was in uh, Middle Tennessee back in 2000, and I was setting up to do it uh, kind of like Jose Escamilla does, you know, with the solar obliteration technique and all this, because you're allegedly, if you have your camera set up right and at the right angle, you'll capture UFOs, and that's, of course, where the rod phenomena came from that that Jose is credited with bringing to light. So I set up to do that, and lo and behold, I sure got something on camera. Uh, nice. I, I don't know what it is. I've got an associate who does photo analysis who, who believes that he's isolated it down. There was a lot of conversion process that had to happen because at the time I was shooting on high 8 video. And then from the high 8 video, it went to digital and the computer. Uh, for the, the making of a pilot of uh, Walking with the Paranormal, and then I'll put it back to high 8 which was the, the best thing I had at that point. I'm, I'm proud to say I have a high-definition camera now. So <laughs> I'm, whatever I get, I'm going to have good clarity on it, that's for sure. So uh, can you afford, or is your goal here, um, to make it Internet television that you have to pay for by episode, or you can try to splice in commercials? Or are you just going to upload it to YouTube and let people watch everything you film? Well, to be honest about it, what I'll have it on my site. Uh, but what I really want to do is I want to get a, a good, solid pilot made and see if I can get Sci-Fi Channel or History Channel or somebody interested in it. I've had my website now since about 1998, mm -hmm. and I've done okay with it. But to really get the information out, I mean, your, your numbers make me look like a little bitty guy. <laughs> uh, I need that exposure, and I think being able to at least put the initial program, get it on the Sci-Fi Channel, get it on a major network where I can have, you know, six million people, kind of like ghost hunters, you know, looking at this thing to drive them to the website, and then keep it going on the website. Uh, if people will yeah, but that that thing gets popular. There's no way you're going to be able to afford the, the bandwidth for, you know, unless you're an independently wealthy millionaire. But, well, you know, that, that'll eat you up. People download a video off your site, a million people watch that. You are sunk, buddy. Yeah, your, I know. Your server <laughs> will kick you off. I uh, know. I'm still developing the, uh, the strategy for that, actually. Hey, here's a question. The last question, I think, because we're down to two minutes. Okay. Um, now, I have my own answer to this mm -hmm. already. Paranormal Mysteries, I am going with your question here. Um, why do you feel you need to charge, Joseph, 
for people to view the videos that you have uploaded. Got one minute, and I'll thank folks for listening to Live from Roswell.com every Sunday night, 7 to 9 Mountain Time. Uh, stay tuned for Sedona Lights. And, Joseph, take us out with just a, a good, honest answer from your point of view why you have to uh, – okay, I'm sorry, Para, for calling you out. But um, <laughs> why, why do you feel you have to charge people for your videos? Because research takes money. That's pretty much the bottom line. You, you, you don't have the, the digs going on at Roswell for the Sci-Fi Channel without money. You don't have Stan Friedman can't go around and do his investigations without money. It's got to come from someplace. And most of the time, if it occupies too much of your time, then you're not able to make your normal living. You, you need to have some source of income to allow you to do this. And now with this technology, you can do it for so little money. I don't have to charge that much. You know, uh, if oh, I want yeah. information, I, I got to pay for it. Yeah, it's funny how we can watch, uh, uh, we can go out and pay $20 for a DVD of a movie and think nothing of it. But once we're on the web, <laughs> we just assume everything is supposed to be free. And I, I'm a victim of that. I, I assume that, too. I often don't pay money for things that I want to see. Yeah, once I find out on the web. But no, good luck on that. I hope uh, this show and continued exposure does get people to download, you know, pay $3.50 to watch a 90-minute Chupacabra documentary. I appreciate that. If you get enough of them, I can go back and do more research. Bring you more yeah, right on. You know? Right on. That's what it's about. Yeah, and um, 